Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, June 18th, 2021. Where is God in all of this? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? Maybe just as you look at your own life, or maybe as you're looking at the world around you, where and when is revival going to come? You ever ask yourself that? Well, maybe if we're thinking through those questions, where is God in all of this? Uh, Where is revival? Maybe the question we really need to be asking is, where are the Elijahs? Where are the people who are going to bring about the revival, obviously not in their own strength and their own power, but that God is going to use and the people that are going to be wholeheartedly committed to God. Today, we get introduced to one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. And we're going to see some really important things with him as we look today at 1 Kings 17 and 18. Now, it starts, verse 17, just boom, all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, introduces us to Elijah. And it says, now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab. So we've already met King Ahab at the end of the last chapter, and we know he is the most wicked king that Israel, the northern kingdom, has ever seen. And now, kind of out of the blue, this is the first mention that we see of Elijah, and it shows up. And he is saying, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so as it introduces us to Elijah, uh, before we get into this bold pronouncement that there's not going to be rain, it says that Elijah was the Tishbite from Tishbe. So that explains a lot to you, right? Okay, you might be asking, well, what in the world does that mean? Let me put that into maybe simpler English for you. Elijah was a nobody from nowhere. There was nothing special about Elijah. He wasn't from some royal line. It doesn't seem that maybe he was from some prominent, famous family or wasn't a priest or a a Levite or anything like that. He was just a a guy. Uh, And even... We think of how he is described in James chapter 5, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. It describes him as a man with a nature like ours. Uh, Elijah was a guy just like you, just like us. There was nothing inherently special about him. And, And so even as we think about this question, where is revival? Where is the Lord? Where are the Elijahs? Uh, You need to, if you think, well, that's not going to be me because I'm just a nobody from nowhere. Well, that's exactly the kind of guy that Elijah was. And he shows up and he makes this bold pronouncement that there is not going to be rain. Uh, Now, where does that come from? Is that just, you know, him summoning up some spiritual superpower to declare to the world uh, what is going to happen? Uh, No, well, again, James 5, which I already referred to, tells us that it didn't rain because Elijah prayed. It was Elijah's prayers that led to this lack of rain, uh, which ends up being for three and a half years. That's a long time. 
I mean, think about what you were doing at the beginning of 2018. Three and a half years is a long time ago. Uh, But as we think about that, right, we've got to remember the prayers. Well, where did that prayer even come from? Well, we've now read through the law. And don't you remember all the times that God even warns the people as they are taking over the promised land and preparing to enter it and conquering it? It was a land that needed rain to really flourish and thrive. And he said, hey, if you trust me, if you follow me, I will bring the rain and provide everything that you need. But if you turn away from me to idols, I will stop the rain as a form of punishment on the nation. So really, Elijah's prayer didn't come from nowhere. It came based on the word of God. So where where's revival? Where are the Elijahs? And to put that more specifically, where are the people that are praying bold prayers based on the word of God? And that's one thing we should see from Elijah. Uh, there's a few other things I want us to think about as we think about this question. Where are the Elijahs? Where are the, the people that God is going to use to make a difference even in our own nation? Another thing we're going to see here is just a lot of trust, people that trust God. Instantly, uh, even at the word of God, Elijah has to go into hiding and he, every step of the way, God provides for him. We see it first with this brook and the ravens to feed him, but then uh, the brook dries up. And so he goes to this widow who barely has anything and she thinks she's going to die, but God performs a miracle to provide there. And then even Elijah raises the widow's son. And so we see all throughout that. I mean, this was a gutsy thing for Elijah to do, and it forced him to really trust God, uh, even just to meet his practical needs. And so we need People that are going to pray bold prayers based on the word of God. And then we need people that are going to trust God. And then in chapter 18, we see this incredible showdown and we see Elijah's passion for God. But one thing, I think we also see what something that was the problem with the people that needed to be solved. As Elijah finally shows himself to Ahab and they arrange this contest on Mount Carmel between Elijah and then between the prophets of Baal. And we see a little bit of what the problem was with many of the people in Israel. And clearly idolatry had been introduced, but at the level of just the people, it doesn't seem that they had completely rejected God. Um, It seems that there was something else going on. And we see that in verse 21, where Elijah says to the people, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And I think even you look out at the United States of America, and do you see people just in our culture, even more and more totally rejecting God? Yes. And that is a big problem. But I think where revival will very possibly start would be with many people that are limping between two different opinions, right? Right now that they're not rejecting God entirely, but they're also, they want to embrace the world and its system. And what we're going to see here in dramatic way is people leaving that behind and wholeheartedly embracing the Lord. And then again, we see that passion that Elijah has, even in just the prayer that he prays before the fire comes down. And it says in verse 36 that Elijah said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, 
that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. That's a great passionate prayer that's clearly based on the glory of God, right? Elijah's not really asking uh, just for something for himself. He wants to be answered so that people can know that the Lord is God and that their hearts would be turned back to him. Again, that's the kind of passion that we need to have. And those are kind of the prayers that we need to be praying, not just prayers for what we want, but prayers ultimately that are for the glory of God, that we would see God turn hearts back to him. Uh, That's what we want to see. So those are some things we see from Elijah, uh, that he was a nobody from nowhere, but he was praying based on the word of God. He was trusting God to meet his needs. He had a a passion for the glory of God. Uh, We're also going to see just what, what should be involved in these people that God can use to even turn around a society. And I think we're going to see some of that today also from the Apostle Paul as we go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, And in 2 Corinthians, again, he talked about this message of reconciliation that he's been entrusted with and that every believer has been entrusted with. We are ambassadors and we are meant to plead with people to be reconciled to God. And we see a little more of that tone really at the beginning of chapter six saying, no, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And we see Paul's heart behind that, starting in verse 3. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. And so we see he's so committed to the gospel, uh, and really two things are emphasized as he talks about removing obstacles. And one thing that he emphasizes really is personal sacrifice. And that's something that people need to be prepared for to uh, see revival. I read in a book recently how we have some bad assumptions about revival. We think that you know revival is going to be like the last chapter in a detective novel, where everything all just kind of finds its place and, and you know everything fits together all of a sudden. And we forget that no revival is going to come probably with great sacrifice among Christians. And it it might be messy. And just think if, uh, if 200 people got saved at your church over the next few months, how much work would be involved in discipling those people and investing in those people, right? It's going to take a lot of work. And we see the attitude Paul saying, Hey, I'll endure not just work, but even outright suffering. For the sake of the gospel. And then the other thing I think he emphasizes here is godly character. So he talks about purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, and so on. Uh, he, he wants to commend the gospel by being willing to suffer for it and by having the right character, genuine character, no hint of hypocrisy. And, and he's motivated to do all this out of love. He, he talks about how his heart in verse 11, my heart is, our hearts are wide open. 
You know, his heart was wide open for the Corinthians, and that's what we're going to need to see revival, a wide open heart that leads to a willingness to suffer and a devotion to godly character. So where are the Elijahs? I hope that so many of the things we've seen from Elijah and Paul really encourage us today. And our final two passages, I really think, can just point us back to this. We finish up Mark, the gospel of Mark today with verses 12 through 20, and we see a sense of the great commission, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And that reminds us of what is said in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter one, that our mission as Christians is to spread the gospel, even as Acts one puts it in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we should be thinking about that ourselves in our own local community, in the surrounding areas, to the ends of the earth, we want to bring the gospel. And so we need to have those characteristics that we've seen in Elijah and in Paul. And finally, we look at Psalm 74, which is asking some of the questions that we started with. In verse one, as we look at the first eight verses today, oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Uh, So we see there just this prayer, God, where are you? But pleading on behalf of his people. Uh, And may we be those people who will lift up our nation, our culture in prayer to God, even when we're not sure when we look out and we see, well, where is God in all this? We want to be the people who are on our knees praying. And we're going to see how God kind of comes into the picture there in Psalm 74 in future days. But may we be committed to the things that Elijah and Paul were, people that are committed to passionate, bold prayers based on the word of God, trusting God, passionate for his glory, um, with hearts wide open to others, willing to suffer and pursuing godly character. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.